and I'll excuse him because he's zonked. I'm pretty zonked as well. Um, yeah, we're having a singleness seminar coming up this Wednesday. I think it starts at 7 o'clock. Um, it'd be great if you could put your details or at least whether you're going on Facebook if you intend to be there. Um, the speaker here is pretty good. Um, that was a joke. I'm just trying to warm you up a little bit. Um, anyway, that's this Wednesday. Um, it'd be great if we could see you there. I'm sure it'd be really cool. A um, whole bunch of things planned for that. I'm going to pray. We'll jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you that we can call you in Jesus, our friend. Also, thank you that you call us to be friends with others as well. Uh, I pray that you speak to us tonight. Amen. I was reading an article just the other week celebrating the 25th anniversary of a certain movie coming out. Um, I don't know if people here would have heard of the movie. Some people maybe. Um, this movie didn't make a lot of money in the box office, but it made a lot of movie after through video sales. It also created almost a cult following. The movie is a film called The Shawshank Redemption. Am I talking to myself here? I'm just showing my age. Has anyone ever seen this or heard of this film? Okay, so this, uh, this writer of this article was talking and thinking about why this movie has had the success it's had. So why? It's a riveting story. It's really engaging. If you don't know what it's about, it's about a guy who's wrongly imprisoned for murdering his wife. He didn't do it. And then at the end, he breaks free of the jail. That's basically the whole gist of it, okay? It goes from, he stayed there for about 25 minutes. But the reason this guy thought that this movie is so powerful and so effective for people is because of the friendship between two of the, the, two of the main characters. I'll get that next slide. So a guy called Andy and a guy called Red. And it's really quite profound and moving. And this guy, the guy writing the article, basically said that relationships like this are so rare and that's why it had the impact it actually had. The friendships that look like this, that pass over geography and time and ethnicity and even physical barriers like prison walls, friendships that pass all those things are so rare. That's why this movie stands the test of time. It's really interesting to think about. Another statistic, um, this is actually kind of applies to America, but people think that up to half of modern American society, it applies to us as well, I think, would consider themselves deeply lonely. Isn't that amazing? Social media, Facebook, Insta-G, whatever you want to call it, all the things that supposedly bring us together, and yet most people feel desperately alone. And I wonder if that would change if we actually took that survey and applied it to the church. I suspect not. The truth is we don't actually do friendship particularly well. Um, I've been in church for a long time. Um, not necessarily a Christian for the whole time, but I've been in church for a long time. And I can't think of one time, and maybe I've heard it, but I can't remember it, where I've heard a sermon on friendship. Not once. Now, isn't that staggering? Considering this is such a key theme behind the Bible. Friendship. Friendship with God, friendship, and relationships with others. Just so everyone knows, um, I got a lot of this talk from other sources. I sort of blended a whole bunch of things, just so you guys know. I didn't make this myself. If you want to know where I got all this stuff from... I'm happy to pass that on after the talk if you want to come and talk to me afterwards. And you might be thinking, where am I going to talk about? Or what am I going to talk about from that strange passage? It's Acts. You know, it's about Paul traveling around. There's actually a lot to unpack, particularly as it relates to friendship. So I've got four main themes I want to really emphasize. Um, they should come up on the screen behind me. So friendships are needed, first thing. Secondly, friendships are discovered, not made. But last or thirdly, friendships are made, not just discovered. Okay, I'll explain what I mean by that. And lastly, friendships are forever. Christian friendships are forever. So firstly, they're needed. Friendships are needed. I don't know if you've ever thought of friendship like that. 
that you need friendship, that you actually need it. It's not an option. It's part of who you are. Do you think of friendship like that? I don't know if I do. But I really want to take us to what Paul examples in this passage from Acts. I'm going to go to verse 36. Follow along with me. should be on the screen behind me. So when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And so there's a pattern as we read through the book of Acts of Paul doing this. Sometimes he stayed for a short time. Sometimes he stayed for a long time. But he automatically builds friendships. It's just what he does. And I love to compare Paul here as against Paul earlier in the first couple of chapters of Acts. He didn't seem to have a lot of what I would call emotional intelligence, right? So he's running around trying to kill people, fire breathing out of his nose. I think that's an image actually that Acts gives us, trying to persecute the church. And then compare that, that person there, full of anger, full of rage, to what we see here. It seems that as Paul grows in Christ-likeness, so too does his need of friendships. And he invests in friendships. He takes them seriously. And even in the later example where he goes to a place called Tyre, he doesn't have the same amount of time with them. He still builds relationships and friendships. Sometimes we think friendships are needed. Oh, sorry, are just optional. They're actually needed. And it goes right back to the beginning. I'm going to take us back to Genesis, a really interesting thing. You can note, I've got a passage from Genesis chapter 2. Because we see this repeated refrain again and again and again, talking about Adam and creation. So it is good, it is good, it is good. And then before sin comes in the world, we're told something is not good. I can't read that. I'm sorry. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man uh, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It should be in my notes. It's not. I'm sorry about that. So the first thing that comes up as not being good is the fact that Adam is alone. Now, this is talking about a sexual partner, but I think you could apply this to friendship as well. Okay, this is before sin entered the world. And so what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that our need for relationship and friendship is not a result of sin. So the hunger pang, the fact that our physical bodies break down, these all are all results of sin. But our need for friendship is not a result of sin. And I think Paul, as he gets closer and closer to Christ-likeness, reflects that. Another guy who's really influential in the church is Jesus. I'm being a bit sarcastic there. That's, that's a bit of a joke. <laughs> Jesus. It's amazing as you read the Gospels. They're so rich, aren't they? Because they give us all these details about the relationships of Jesus. He shares with people. He confides in people. He prays with people. He spends time with people. And we read about how he built this sort of people around himself, the 12. There's a whole bunch of sort of significance in that in itself. Um, but 12 people who are basically people who he's mentoring and befriending. And within that, there's a three. I love how the Gospels give us little details. He almost gives them little bro names, you know, little friendship names. So he calls James and John, of those three, Sons of Thunder. It's like a little nickname for him. And even Peter is originally Simon, and he makes up this another name for him, The Rock. You know, not the actor, whatever his name is. What's his name? That's it, that's it. He makes up these little sort of friendship names. And even there's a lot of evidence to suggest that he had a particular relationship with Peter himself. A really close friendship, kind of like an ancient bestie. So Jesus sought out friendships. Jesus wasn't insecure, he wasn't sinful, he wasn't needy, but he invested in friendships. Friendships are, uh, are needed, aren't they? They're part of who we are. 
And so if you're here tonight and you're thinking, I feel lonely, I feel like I don't have friends, I don't feel like I can connect with people, you need to know that that desire in itself is not a bad thing. Maybe you're in that situation for sinful reasons, maybe there's issues you need to work on, but the desire to have friends is not a bad thing. And I think this is something the church gets really, really wrong. I'll be honest. I think it's something the church gets really, really wrong. I'll give you an example about something I've noticed with some people I know, particularly people I grew up with. There's a pattern that I see. So people tend to start dating, they get married, they have kids. Generally a pattern, not always, obviously. And then more and more and more I'm seeing people who are my age isolate themselves. They create these little kingdoms. And I know a whole bunch of guys, I could, I'm not going to give you their names, but I could list off their names, who I think are deeply, deeply lonely. I think it's a reality in our church. And the truth is, we do not do friendship well. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, I don't know if you've ever realised that, but the need for friendship is inbuilt into us. It's a reflection of our humanity. So friendships are needed. Secondly, friendships are discovered. Friendships are discovered. Look what brings Paul and his friends together. I'm going to take you to verse 36. Look what happens here. When Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. So this is his church in Ephesus, right? He'd spent a long time with his church, built up a deep relationship. And when he, when he split ways with them, he was crying, there was emotion, there was sadness. And they're literally on the beach waiting to depart. Okay, they're waiting for him to go. And what brings them together? It's prayer. They're kneeling, literally, before Christ on the beach in prayer. That's what brings them together. Verse 5, in the next chapter, again, the same situation. Notice a repetition here. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Now, most people would say that this is the first time Paul spent with this church entirely. He didn't plant the church, didn't know them, didn't know who they were. And yet he builds his instant connection with them, doesn't he? doesn't know them heaps well. What brings them together? It's Christ. Their friendship, if you can call it that, is built on Christ. I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced this. I actually had this experience yesterday, quite literally, probably several times. I was talking with people... And I was thinking to myself as I was was chatting to these folk, I have no reason to talk to you. So our (laughs) politics are different, our background's different, the way we dress is different, our attitude towards church is different. There is no reason on earth that I will be having a conversation with you right now. Lee's chuckling because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. But there's something that brings us together. It's Christ. Have you ever experienced that with another Christian? I've experienced that in other parts of the world. Sometimes things surprise you. A part of what makes us friends is Christ. And I think this is actually a fundamental part of the way friendship works, because I think if we're trying desperately to make friends and go out of way and be extroverted and and talk to people, sometimes it's actually self-defeating. Sometimes we need to look at something else that brings us together. That's why we have football clubs. That's why we have sports clubs. That's why we have Facebook sort of looking at something apart from ourselves and it brings us together. C.S. Lewis makes this point so clearly, much better than I can, in a book called The Four Loves. He puts it this way. He says, If you want nothing but approval, if you want nothing but friends, you'll never have friends because friendship is always about something besides 
friends. He's basically making the point that if you're looking around, there's this weird sort of aspect to making friends. If you're desperately trying to make friends and that's your only goal, then it's actually going to be self-defeating. But if you're looking to Christ, that's going to bring you together naturally in spite of the differences, in spite of whatever uniform you're wearing. I don't know if you've ever looked at some of the uniforms in this room. Um, I'm going to be a bit cheeky here. We have some hipsters here, don't we? We have people here who have dad fashion. And I think you know exactly what I'm trying to say. We have people who dress kind of inner city. We have Westies. Maybe not so many Westies. Do we have Westies in this? I don't know. You can make up your own mind about that. People who are corporate. We have creative types. You know, we have our uniforms. But what really brings us together? We discover that we are in Christ. Now, you may stay being a hipster or a trendy person or a nerd, but that thing doesn't define you anymore, does it? If you're incredibly fashionable, you're not going to stop being fashionable when you become a Christian, but you're not defined by that. You're defined by Christ. That means when you're incredibly cool, you can spend time with a massive nerd, and you're still together in Christ, aren't you? It doesn't matter what you are, right, left, conservative, progressive, Simpsons watcher, bachelor watcher. I don't get that. I have no idea. (laughs) You're Christian first and you're something else second. It's discovered. We stumble upon these things. We look to Christ and we're drawn together, aren't we? Let's move on. Spiritual friendship is made, not just discovered. Contradicted myself? Let me explain what I mean. I think it's a tension, not a contradiction. Let me explain. There's a lot of um, work goes into this. There's a word that the New Testament uses a lot when it talks about relationships with other Christians. And I think the word can be best translated as share. Now, share is an active word. It's something we do, isn't it? We share. And we see examples of how that is, well, Paul and these churches, these Christians in these places, shared. Okay? So they shared a bunch of things. The first thing, can we just go to the next slide? Yeah, next one. Yeah, so they shared their feelings. Share their feelings. We're probably talking more to the blokes here, and I'm a bloke, so I'm not very good at this. But look at the example we see in this passage when he's leaving these Christians in Ephesus. There's crying, there's weeping, there's hugging. And I don't hug people when I leave church. I'm not saying we need to go to that that sort of point. But we need to share our feelings. We need to be open about what's going on in our hearts, in our lives. There needs to be an openness in the way we relate to one another. Because that's the example we see in the Bible here. Secondly, what do they share? They share their things. You go back to Acts 2, where people in need were provided for. It's almost like a picture of, I'm not going to use the word communism, but communal living, sharing. If one person was in um, plenty, the other person is want. They, they shared all the things that they had. And Paul used this as the basis for his ministry. People shared with him. Thirdly, they shared their faith. They share their faith. They're constantly talking about Jesus, about the Lord, about the gospel. They're praying for one another. And they're also challenging and rebuking one another. I don't know if you notice that in verse or chapter 20. Paul has his heart set on Jerusalem. And notice they challenge him on that. He still goes, but they challenge him. That's an essential part of friendship, challenging one another, uh, rebuking one another, shaping one another. If you see a sin or an issue or a concern actually sharing that with the other person. It's a key part of friendship, particularly Christian friendship. Okay, a key part. They share their risk. They share their risk. Um, Just a bit of context here. Um, Paul's at this crossroads here. 
He's been planting these churches, and he makes up the mind to go to Jerusalem. Okay, he goes to Jerusalem. We hear about this in chapter 20. I don't expect you to read that. But he knew that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's probably going to be killed, at least imprisoned. Okay, he knew what was going to happen to him. And yet he goes, he makes up his mind. But there's this strange tension as you read Acts, particularly this part. It sort of moves between I and we. Remember, Luke is writing this. And so what we can learn from this is that Luke follows him. So Luke goes with him. So Luke, knowing the danger, knowing what's likely going to happen to Paul, follows him. So friendship takes commitment, doesn't it? Friendship sometimes means going into situations of risk. Friendship means you're going to follow someone into hardship, potentially. Friendship's effort. It's hard. And I think we can summarise these things to basically say that you need to try. So we discover relationships and friendships, but we need to make an effort. Uh, we make a bit of a joke about this at Establish sometimes, but people say, I'm kind of withdrawn at times. I don't think it's true, but some people, sometimes people say it. But there's an element of truth to that, not the whole truth, but there's an element of truth. But my natural inclination, I'm being really open here, give me some points for that, is to be withdrawn. Okay, my natural inclination is to pull away from people. Some people are really open, I'm not. And so it takes me a while to open up to people. And so I need to take what Paul's teaching is here, or at least the, the passage in Acts, really seriously, because this is talking to me. Okay, my natural track is almost just to pull away from people. But I need to share, don't I? And I need to make an effort to do so. Okay, last thing. Spiritual friendships are forever. Spiritual friendships go beyond this life. Christian friendships go beyond this life. So as you read the book of Acts, you see a lot of goodbyes. Okay? A lot of goodbyes. A lot of times where Paul gives these emotional goodbyes. He goes in, he visits a church, or he plants a church. And then he says goodbye. And it's sad and it's painful, and it's really, really difficult, but there's actually a hope there as well. There's a poise as they grieve and as they suffer. There's a peace, because they know that their friendship's going to go beyond this life. Paul knows, and these Christians know, that they're never going to see each other again. Their friendship's going to go beyond this life, and this is actually in contrast to what pretty much every worldview or every religion can say. Friendships in the Christian faith go forever. Think about Eastern religion, New Age religion, says that basically when you die, you sort of just become part of the cosmos. You can't have a hope beyond this life. Islam has no assurance of anything beyond this life. There might be an afterlife. You might get there, you might not. It depends how you do. But no assurance. And secularism says basically when you die, you're going to rot away. And so when it ends, it ends. It reminded me of a really kind of sad and depressing folk song. I'm going to share it with you. Talking about this hardness of the world in which we live, the lack of hope as we think about anything beyond this life. It's an American story. It goes like this. It's an American poem, rather. Oh, where, where is my sailor boy? Where is my sailor boy? He sleeps at the bottom of the deep blue sea and he can't come back to me. She stood on the beach at dawn and gazed at the misty blue, saying, See, as you hold him to your breast, does he mention my name to you? Oh, please tell me the deep blue sea, is he sleeping peacefully? While the winds of the north are blowing icy cold, can you keep him warm for me? If only my grieving soul some token of love could find, if only the waves would tell me where he sleeps, I would leave this world behind. So you have this situation, the relationship 
the friendship. I think it's a romantic relationship has been broken. And she's asking the sea, do I have hope? Does this go beyond this life? And what does the sea say? Look, there's an answer. The deep sea says, what does the deep sea say? And moans and groans and splashes and foams and rolls on its weary way. The sea doesn't care. The sea's not going to return the relationship. It's not going to restore it. You know why? Because the sea isn't personal. The sea can't bring him back. So he's on the beach. He's asking the question, is there hope? Can the friendship, the relationship go beyond this life? And the answer is no. I'm going to give you another example and see how this contrasts. There's a guy called Jonathan Edwards. He was a Christian pastor, theologian, a couple hundred years ago. Anyway, on his deathbed, there's this really touching story. Um, his wife, even though he was dying, was on the other side of the country. But he dictated a letter to his wife through his daughter. And this is what he says. He says this, Give my kindest love to my dear wife until that the uncommon union which has so long subsisted between us has been of such a nature as I trust is spiritual and therefore will continue forever. So death is pulling them apart. They're sitting on the beach knowing that behind us at the sea is a loving heart, a loving, caring heart. This is what Christian friendship is. It goes beyond this life and so much of our hope is wrapped up in that. And so friendship is needed. We need it. It's part of who we are as people. It's part of who we are as God created. It's discovered. In Christ, we just have natural links with others. It's made. We have to actually show effort and try to share our lives with others and forever. It goes on beyond this life. Christian friendship, go out and get it. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that we are blessed with relationships, that we can love others and be loved in return. But thank you most of all that in Christ our relationships are saved and redeemed, that we have a hope that goes beyond this life and that every friendship, every relationship we have ultimately points to our relationship with you. Thank you so much that in Jesus we are saved and thank you that this hope goes on forever. Uh, We ask this and acknowledge this in Jesus' uh, Jesus' name. Amen.